This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. My dear sister, Raquel Umumba, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Rev? Man, I'm doing good. I'm going to start off, before I get into folks to know who you are and who your community and all that stuff about you, I want to ask you, right now, what's your thoughts on hip-hop right now? I'm just curious. <laughs> get, get your <laughs> mind going. <laughs> yeah, what are you? Get my mind going a little bit, a little bit, just a little bit. You know, um... <laughs> You know, I grew up in the South and uh, the Southern rap has always been a little different than, you know, East Coast, West Coast. You know, we all got our different styles. And, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I miss. OK, let me tell you what I miss. Come on, miss, come on, come on. I miss the um, hmm, I miss like, you know. The 90s and WA, I miss, like, remember when they, uh, you know, when all the rappers got together and did a video and a song, you know, like, I miss that. I miss, like, the strong female rappers that were, like, yeah. really, like, Queen Latifah and M um, uh, MC Light. Look, I'm tripping right now. Like, everybody just, um, you know, just such good lyrics, such motivation, such inspiration. Mm -hmm. Like, I really miss that. Like, I miss yeah. that. I miss that. So I would love to see more of that. But I love these beats. I love yeah. a little style. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, you know, like folks like Kendrick Lamar and there's, so, there's some other folks that have similar styles like him. Um, that poetic. I feel like it's just another level yeah. of poeticism to yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that. If you could talk to them right now, you know, I'm with the Hip Hop Caucus. So if you could talk to them to translate through me, you say, hey, Rev, tell them this about what we got going on. How would you want them to kind of speak to what you got going on down there in Jackson? Yeah, I would say, listen, we need water. Hmm. Like we are dealing with a racist system that is trying to deprive our people of our basic necessity, the right to water. And we need your help. We need you to talk about it. In the same way we talked about Katrina, in the same way we talked about so many other ills that have happened, um, we need to talk about this because Jackson is just one city that this is happening in. We know it's happening all over the U.S. From Flint to what we just saw in the housing projects in New York with arsenic in the water. This is impacting Black communities nationwide. Mm. Who is Rakia Labumba? Who am I? So I am uh, the daughter of Shokwe and Nubia Lumumba, the late Shokwe and the late Nubia Lumumba both have uh, passed, worked um, tirelessly to their to their passing, to their transition of life. Um, I'm the daughter. My father was a human rights activist and um, lawyer um, representing uh, folks across the nation defending the human rights of Black people across this world, and um, was the former mayor. He died in office um, of Jackson, Mississippi. Revolutionary mayor. They call him the, the first revolutionary mayor of a major city. My mother, Nubia Lumumba, 
amazing, amazing just cultural activist, uh, flight attendant. She kept the bread on the table, right? Um, you know, uh, really um, created the sense of community as the family and the family as the community, a principle that she lived by, but also taught us to live by, which helped us to, to be in a place where we're able to, to build in Jackson now. I am a lawyer by training. I consider myself a transformative justice strategist, meaning that I'm working to transform systems to create a better sense of well-being for our people, not just a sense to create a better quality of life for our people. Um, and so that includes um, the majority of my work centers in the criminal legal system. Um, and that means we have to dismantle that system in order to create something new and create interventions during that dismantling process. So my work focuses on building alternatives to incarceration, building alternatives to bail, building alternatives to uh, police interactions, calling the police, um, and building the preventive programs that we need to keep our community safe. This is about our public health. And so, uh, you know, looking at economic, uh, thinking about alternative economies, you know, we know that economy is, is a part of whatever is going to make our community better. And so working in that way. Hmm. No, thank you for that. I got to tell you, you know, your, your dad meant a lot to me. I'm sure a lot of people tell you that. But, and, 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 and uh, it, it's never, it's never enough. Oh man! Well, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slap it on real good now, then, because because it definitely meant, it definitely meant a lot. As you know, um, he was there um, to be uh, there with me to tell me represent when we were after Hurricane Katrina, uh, many other instances, but this is one um, after Hurricane Katrina. Myself and Cynthia McKinney had. Uh, pledged to walk across the Crescent City Connection in New Orleans. And um, the, Gretna, the Gretna Police Department, who had done so many things to stopping our people and doing many things, and then were upset that we were bringing, you know, a light to that process. Then we're sending out waves to, you know, so they were going to assassinate uh, myself or assassinate uh, Cynthia McKinney. And, you know, your father was in the room when we had, were having some meetings about security and, and I just never forget how how cool he was. I just never forget he was like, Rev, it's gonna be cool. It's gonna be all right. <laughs> you know <laughs> I was like, man, I don't know. They sound serious. I you know I was, you know, I mean he was like, nah, it's gonna be all right. And we're gonna get him too. How they how they how we need to protect. You can walk, you know. And that was just so much that was just a blessing to me. Cause you know I was I mean I was that was almost, you know, 17 years ago. So that, that really meant so much to me as a young activist and, and just how much every time we then showed up in that, in that space to talk about community, he, he was there and this, you know, caring it so well. So I just want to let you know that that, that meant a lot to me. Um, because obviously, you know, at that time I had my, my, my little ones was little ones. And so, uh, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't want nobody to take you out. But when you got those in the community standing with you and telling you it's going to be all right, uh, you know, he, he did that for me. So I just want to tell you, I don't think I ever got to tell him that. So I'm telling you uh, for him thank as an ancestor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And he hears it. And he was serious about security. So if he told you it was going to be all right, it's going to be Yeah, no, he was, he was. <laughs> 
he was super serious about security, and then yeah. we and I and I felt secure. I mean, be very clear. I, I I felt like it was, I felt you know, I felt it was it was gonna be it was gonna be all right. Even though they had me that first stage, they had me around these buildings. I was like, hold up, man, y'all check them them parking lots up there. I mean, <laughs> you make sure we check all the floors of the parking <laughs> lot. Oh man, that was that was great. Well, tell us about your community. You mentioned could we mentioned your dad was the man. Jackson was certainly a revolutionary man. Talk about your community um, and Jackson right now. Yeah, well, you know, um, one, I'm just grateful that you invited me on the show to talk about Jackson, to talk about what's happening. Um, So I'm with an organization called the Mississippi or coalition called the Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition. And we're made up of 30 plus organizations from across the state of Mississippi. And we come together during crises caused either by climate or caused by infrastructure disaster and uh, failures, infrastructure failures. And so um, there are many of us in this coalition. I mean, I could give you the list of names. Um, happy to, 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 to say them out, um, but maybe I'll say it at the end. But, you know, we are a community. Jackson is over 80 percent black. We're actually closer to 84 percent black. Um, people say between 82 and 86 percent black. Um, we are a city that is the largest city in the state mm. by three. Right. So there is no other city larger than Jackson. We have we contribute to Mississippi's tax base at the highest rate by far than any other city in the state of Mississippi. We're also the capital of Mississippi. That's right. We're also a democratic, uh, progressive base in this in 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 Jackson, and we're located central in central Mississippi. We're two hours away from New Orleans, four hours away from Mobile. Well, four hours away from Birmingham, about three hours from Mobile, something like that. Six hours from Atlanta. Some people say five. I can't do it in five. I can do it in six. And six hours from um, uh, Dallas. And eight hours from Houston. So we're right also, we're, we're considered the crossroads of the South. So we're right there. That's our community. And our community is one of um, resilient folks who are self-sufficient, mm. who have learned to be self-sufficient because our state government has consistently failed to produce, has consistently failed to use a budget as a moral document and take care of the people. Instead, what we've seen are over and over and over again, the state making huge failures, decisions of neglect and decisions of complete uh, irresponsibility. Like we see with Brett Favre, where the former governor gave millions, nearly $7 million to Brett Favre that came out of TANF funds, which was supposed to go towards uh, food subsidies, housing subsidies for um, low-income residents. So we see that, right? Um, so we're, we are a place that has had to, to figure out throughout all of these years how to take care of ourselves. So the Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition, we formed in 2020, immediately when we learned that there was going to be a COVID shutdown by the city of Jackson. Um, the, you know, one thing I should say, sorry, I paused because I should always also say that I am um, the sister of Mayor Shokwe and Tyler Lumumba, who's my brother, mm-hmm. um, led his campaign. 
Um, and I'm also the executive director of the People's Advocacy Institute, which is a local transformative justice institute um, that leads uh, community participatory processes in Jackson. Um, but in any regard, um, knowing that we were going to have a shutdown in 2020, immediately we began to organize to be able to provide relief. That meant food, that meant water, that meant hygiene um, packets, just supplies to people because they weren't going to be able to get out. 100% of Jackson Public School students are on uh, food subsistences, meaning wow. that they get free lunch. Mm. They get free lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, 24% of our population is living below the poverty line, with another 14% living below 200% below the federal poverty line. So we are a tax base that um, we have a big gap. We have those that are wealthy and then those that are, are struggling economically. And so what we've had to do is figure out how to ensure that our dollars are spent to carry and care for all of our residents. And it's been resident-led, right? Um, Over and over and over again, we see Jacksonians trying to figure out ways to improve our own quality of life and not relying on the state because the state consistently continues to fail us. In the current situation that we have right now with this water crisis, We have never drank the water out of the tap in Jackson. Hmm. Since I can remember in 1990, uh, in the 1990s, I remember, I can remember personally having a conversation with my parents about why we were getting a water filter. I didn't understand what it was. And there was, you know, we, you know, you can't drink the water. We were consistently getting boil water notices back then. This began though earlier than that. In the 1970s, what we saw happen was a great white flight as they forced integration into Jackson, um, forced integrating the schools. And so what happened was uh, you had a great exodus out of Jackson. And as a result, state funding began to dwindle. As it became more black, state funding began to become obsolete. You fast forward to the 19th to 1997 when we have our first black mayor elected, Harvey Johnson. State funding is as if it does not exist, right? Mm. And that's how it's been ever since. From failing to fully fund our school district to failing to fund our water infrastructure, even though the city has asked and requested funds every single year. Last year, we had a water freeze. That water freeze bursted 130 pipes across the city, leaving residents without water for nearly six weeks. The governor did not call for a state of emergency until three weeks in. Hmm. It was Jackson residents. It was the work of everyday people, our coalition members coming out two days after the storm, getting in dangerous situations to provide water, heat and food to people when roads were iced over. And we continued to do that until the problem was fixed. And it took six weeks. Right. You jump, you fast forward now to where we are right now, um, where we just had, we, well, last year we had 225 days of boil water notices. Mm-hmm. So our coalition was coming together no matter what. 225. 225 days of boil water notices. Yes. Yes. 
And so what we're what we decided was that we knew that this plant, the OB Curtis plant, is a failing plant. It is a plant that is well past its years. It needs to be completely rebuilt. But in order to do that, we need the funding. The city, the municipality can only do so much with the little budget, the little revenue that we have coming in from our tax base. It can only do so much. And it has been doing what it can throughout the administrations. They have been working on that plant to try to ensure that people have clean water as it comes out of the plant. But the other part that people don't recognize is that as it leaves the plant, it might be clean. But then once it travels through old pipes, it gets dirty again. As it travels into people's homes, where now it's the homeowner's responsibility, those pipes in our homes, if the homes are older than a certain period of time, may be lead pipes, maybe copper pipes. They're pipes that cause problems and cause contaminants in the water. We need a full rebuild of our infrastructure. And Jackson residents haven't just sat by and just done nothing, right? In 2013 uh, and leading into 2014, Jackson residents voted to tax themselves 1%. Mm. 90% of Jackson residents said, look, we'll, we'll tax ourselves 1%. This is when my father was in office. We'll tax ourselves an additional 1% to contribute to the water infrastructure issues because that's how bad it is. He didn't even believe in taxation. And, they, and, and he had to follow the lead of the people. You know, and so um, we're a resilient people. We're a people that's going to get done what we need to get done to stay there. No, you are, and you said so much there. And I wanted to, some folks, folks who are listening, I think they need to understand this, how important not only Jackson is, but how Mississippi is as far as for Black liberation and what that means as a center of that in this country. You kind of gave it a, a, a geographical sense of where we where the city is as far as where, where, where it is from New Orleans and Dallas and Mobile. But it's actually the center as well as far as our struggle. And immediately you think about from Mississippi, you think about from Fannie Hamer to Medica Evers, Emmett Till from the past, and obviously to, to your dad, to you, your family and others today. And, and I think I need people to understand that Jackson, Mississippi is, is one of the many black communities um, that have been suffering from the legacy of disinvestment redlining, environmental racism, and more. But more so in Jackson, my question is that I, when I think of Jackson, I think of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I think of, I think of Haiti and, and Jackson. I think of a, of a place where, because of your resiliency, because of your swagger, your, your intention of just being this upright, standing, this amazing, beautiful Black people, that white supremacy continues to fight you for generations and that, and that they will do that. And I just think that I just, and I just want you to explain that. What is the story of, of the city as a site that has been a network of black power and how you feel in the center of white supremacy? Mm-hmm. Well, you said it all. I mean, we're literally right in the center of white supremacy. Um, so we are, we sit not only in the center of the state, but we are the central largest progressive body and largest black population in the state. 
Now, mind you, Mississippi has 19 counties that are predominantly black that line each other all throughout. I didn't say cities. I said counties. Hmm. Right. What people don't realize is that Mississippi has one of the largest black populations per capita than anywhere else in the U.S. We have the highest number of black elected officials. We are a place that black people vote at a higher rate than the national average. So we're an engaged community. We believe in our right to this land and to be in this place that we have our blood, our ancestors' blood cured, our ancestors' blood, you know, toiled that soil. And so we believe in it and we believe it's ours and we believe in the ownership and the right to govern ourselves. We believe in that. We believe. And so, you know, there's a history when we talk about Mississippi and Jackson. Jackson is important because it is it is the capital of the state. Right. And for the first time in its history, it was founded in 1872. I'm sorry, 18. Yeah. 1872. First time in its history in 1997, we had a fir- our first black mayor. Hmm. At that time, Jackson was over 400,000 residents were living in Jackson. Immediately, you began to see the population dwindle because of that white flight. Um, but Jackson, you know, I said that earlier, but I want to jump ahead a little bit so I don't hold up too much time being stuck on that. Jackson was also the place, the last place that the Ku Klux Klan marched in Mississippi. Hmm. So we saw that march in the 90s. I can't remember the exact year. And we had an anti, anti-Klan march during that, during the same, during that marching time. They never marched again in Jackson. They never marched again. Um, and we haven't seen them march in any place in Mississippi since. Um, you know, Jackson is home to Megar Evers. Jackson is uh, the place where the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party was birthed. Right. right there at the M.W. Stringer Lodge. Jackson is the place where the campaign to register and have 80,000 to carry over an 80,000 person mock election occurred through Fannie Lou Hamer and her comrades, where they literally held a mock election where 80,000 residents came out and voted to show that Black people would vote if given the opportunity. Hmm. It's in Jackson where you have um, all of the major hospitals. There are, remember, Mississippi is predominantly rural, rural state. So Jackson has all of the predominantly all of the major hospitals, including the number one trauma uh, hospital in the state. So everyone is flown into Jackson for their care. Jackson has the most colleges and universities in the city than any other city in the state of Mississippi. It's home to Jackson State, which is now home to Coach Prime, right? Deion Sanders, and we're happy about it. <laughs> but Jackson is also um, Jackson owns the airport, right? The airport sits outside of Jackson's borderline, but Jackson owns that land and the airport itself. One of the first attempts of the state to take over Jackson, to take control of Jackson's resources, or to remove the power of Jackson Authority from maintaining its airport was to to petition to have that airport become a regional airport controlled by 
regional bodies across um, Mississippi. We were able to prevent that. Through organizing, we were able to prevent that. We then saw the state try to take over. Jackson has the second largest school district in the state. The only district bigger than Jackson is a school district that is combined by several cities. Jackson School District, the state tried to take Jackson School Districts in 2017. 2017, we were able to prevent that from happening. Mm. And now you have the water crisis. Prior to the water crisis, the state was immediately trying to take over our police department. And though they were unsuccessful in doing that, they were successful in creating what they call capital police, which are state police, which... Um, uh, parole, patrol the downtown area of Jackson. To this date, they've only been in, they've only existed for about four months now, and already they've killed, they've shot nine people, killing one young man for, uh, that died a couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago now, who was innocent and was unarmed. Um, so Jackson is a place, um, it's also the place where every legislative office is held. Hmm. It is a place where, so the capital, the capital, the legislature's offices are there. The governor lives in Jackson, in the mansion, in the governor's mansion in downtown Jackson. And there are several state agencies that are based in Jackson. And mind you, these state agencies don't pay taxes to Jackson, hmm. but they use the water, they use the utilities, and they're living off the backs of our us as Jackson residents. Ricky, let me ask you this question. You know, as you're talking and I'm listening, and one, this, you know, I love that, uh, you know, if if ever they, if ever Jackson is an ambassador, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I know who, I know, listen, you got, you can go get, you also get your brother, but you can also definitely get you. You get Ricky Lumumba, and that's, and you, you're not going, you're not going to let him down in any way uh, possible. But let me just talk about, the city. I, you know, thinking back to your dad when he was mayor and thinking about all the history of Jackson, I can't help but think that if there's ever a place that should be a beacon of where Black liberation should shine, it should be Jackson. That's right. Mm -hmm. At the same time, as you're talking, it just seems like on this place that our indigenous sisters and brothers called Turtle Island, this, these, these United States of America, is it possible? Is it possible, Rakia, for Absolutely. us to have, uh, and you know where I'm going. So go ahead. I'm not going to go. Is it, is it, I, 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 no, no, no. You, you knew, you know, you listen, we all, we, we on the same, you know where I'm, cause you know, I'm now speaking for folk now. And so you know where I'm going. Is it possible for us to have liberation and freedom on this place? The, 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 you know, the, the, the good book would say, how do we say the Lord saw in a strange land? Yes. Is it possible for us to have freedom on, on this land? Yes, yes, yes. My answer is yes. Like, um, you know, I think that it is possible, but I do think that it matters where. Um, and I think that, you know, so one of the reasons Jackson also is important, it was the home. It was the first place that the Republic of New Africa back in the 70s purchased their first bit of land. 
they 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 purchased that land out of, uh, outside of uh, between Edwards and Bolton, Mississippi, which is right outside of Jackson. And um, they purchased that land to create a community that could be self-governed, that didn't have to abide by the rules of the state and of the city, but could be a safe haven for black people. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, because of very violent state attacks, including a shootout that occurred in Jackson, where um, uh, they shot out, shot up the RNA home in the early mornings of, of, of uh, in the early morning. Um, and because the RNA didn't know who was shooting, they shot back, killing one police officer. Um, their, their efforts were completely, um, you know, eradicated and many people jailed um, and, and, and some folks died. But it is that type of resistance. There's a good book called We Will Shoot Back um, by Dr. Akinyele Umoja that I really encourage people to read. And it's about resistance in Mississippi because everybody talks about, you know, our um, civil rights movement, but they leave out portions of it. Right. It's right. They didn't talk about how Megger was Megger was absolutely nonviolent when out in the community. But if you were coming to his house, he was going to defend his family. Right. And so um, we, we have to talk about those things, too, because it's a part of us staying safe. Um, the, but, you know, um, absolutely, I think we can. We wouldn't be engaging in this experiment of governing if we didn't believe that we could actually govern ourselves better than what we see happening in this country. If we couldn't create a better system of government than what we see now. And so in years past, you know, when we talk about um, black liberation movements and we talked a lot of theory, but we didn't practice. And I think that's what Katrina really taught us. Yep. During Katrina, we had the opportunity to see like, yeah, we've been talking this this thing about having our own, having the resources, what we're going to do with them. But we never had the opportunity to experiment. And so during Katrina was our first opportunity to experiment with what could we have done? Had we, a, had we been able to take all of those resources that they were throwing into the city to rebuild it, if we had control of those resources? And so that's what this Jackson experiment is. And I call it an experiment because this is our first time doing it. We got to see what's going to happen, right? Coming into government and saying that we are going to govern, we are going to govern so that we could have control over the very limited resources that exist in the city to ensure that they're distributed equitably to residents to improve their quality of life, right? And so that is a part of that journey towards Black liberation hmm. is when you actually have control of the resources. Now, the issue is, how do we become self-sustaining? That's right. And that's what we really have to do, especially in a state like Mississippi. Well, you got to do that in a state like New York. And I think people are starting to realize that more and more, right? Where you see more threats coming to the progressive um, policies and politics that are coming out of New York City. There's always folks on the outside of New York City that want something different, right? So we see it everywhere. But in Mississippi, I think we have more of an opportunity to build what we want to build there because, one, we have a people that are ready that have been self-sustaining anyway, right? So they know how to operate with very little resources and to make things work. They're ready. 
They understand the importance of, uh, importance of land. They understand the importance of collective work and responsibility because we all had to do it. We've all had to help our neighbors. We all have had to help each other over and over and over again. So I think in Mississippi, you'll see that we're ripe. We're ripe for a revolution of what governing looks like mm. and what, and that includes creating more self-sustaining mechanisms like cooperatives, like looking at how do we gain capital from other ways that aren't reliant just on the state. But at the same time, we're going to demand what's ours. And those tax dollars that go to the states, those are our dollars. And we deserve our fair share of those dollars. Um, I know I'm talking too much. I'm going to. No, no, Ricky, you ain't talking. No, you're talking good luck. No, you, you better not say you're talking too much. You're talking, you're talking that truth. I'm, I'm, I'm going to add some fire to the, I'm going to some coals to the fire though with this next question though. So, because uh, I'm actually, this question here really goes to, but are we doing enough? Are we still doing it internally in these United States? Should we be looking? Should Jackson and places where we're facing this type of, of these crimes against humanity? Should Jackson, other places like that, look to our brothers, our brothers and sisters across the globe as well? Should we be looking to the continent? Should we look into the global south? I'm just, how, how, how do we link together in the struggle? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's extremely important that we recognize that we are a global society. We are a global society. Many of us may not have traveled outside of our state, but we communicate via virtually with folks in all parts of the world. And so, one, I think it's really important that we continue to do that, but that we recognize the similarities mm. from place to place. Jackson reminds me of Rwanda, except for Rwanda is a, looks a little nicer than Jackson. Mm. Come on. <laughs> you know? um, mm. Jackson reminds me, um, there's a small uh, township in, uh, town in, in, in South Africa in the, on the Eastern Cape called Alice. I went to school there for a little bit. And and it reminded me of Jackson, right? Um, there's so many places around the world that we can connect to and be um, and, and find similarities in. Um, what oppression we're experiencing here is not so different than the oppression that we see our brothers and sisters in the African diaspora outside of the U.S. experiencing. And we need to make those connections. But also, I always tell people, and I'm going to tell you because you might want to buy a little property. Where you live <laughs> is one place, but you can be by city, you can be by coastal, you can be by continental, <laughs> right? You can live in more than one place these days. And so we need to be exploring what does it mean to be international citizens, to be citizens mm. of the world, right? And so our, our struggle in Jackson is connected identically to the struggle in Rwanda where they're trying to figure out their water infrastructure needs and have been deprived of the investments and the money that they are owed for the years of colonization that took place that stripped them completely of resources that caused the exact civil war that killed millions of their residents and right. that they have to rebuild from that trauma. We saw that in Rwanda. We see in Jackson, we see in Jackson a similar divestment in an attack on our people, turning our people against each other, trying to say that we're just trying to kill each other. Mm. So, you know, I, I think it's important to be. Is it, is it, is it divestment or is it genocide? Mm. Mm. That's a, that's, I think, I, I think, you know, that's a really good question. And I think in some instances it's genocide. And in others, I think it is a divestment. I think that it depends on who who's at the table, right? 
I think if you're talking about um, right now, if you're talking about because because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't even think that uh, our elected officials on the state level are smart enough to even understand how to have a long term process towards genocide, towards killing off of our people. I don't even think they that smart. Right. So what they're trying to do is literally just strip all of the funds from the city so they can come back in and take it over so that mm. they can say that they saved Jackson. You know, that's the narrative that they're even pushing now is that, oh, well, you know, we we have all of our experts down there. So now we're, we're going to take over and we're going to we're going to um, fix this water issue. No. Number one, they're not. You know, so, you know. Yeah, I don't think they're smart enough, but I think I think it depends on what time you tell you're talking about. I think yeah. this one is not smart enough to be working a genocide uh, uh, frame. Oh man, no, no, but, nah, nah, but they—it's—I mean, that's I, I, I'm just gonna leave your response like that. I think I think you you hit the nail on on the how I'm gonna leave it, but I do want to speak to what you just said though, because state legislators are creating a racist narrative that the Jackson water crisis is due to, you know, local negligence. You know, how harmful is that narrative? And, and what does it say about the perceived uh, disparities in, and, 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 and of black people or, uh, uh, and, and black cities across the nation? Um, and also the, the, the disposability of black people and black cities across mm -hmm. the nation, especially in a post-Trump era politics. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Jackson is the prime example of racism at its best. Mm. Um, you know, this, this water crisis is, you know, the, it is infuriating. I can tell you that. And it is, it's infuriating because Jackson residents and Jackson government has been the only entity that has done anything about water over several decades, water infrastructure over several decades. We have gotten zero support from the state, zero. Like a couple of years ago, they gave $3 million. Our water infrastructure issue is over $1.5 billion, is a one over $1.5 billion issue. And you give three when we asked for 26. Last year, we asked for 47 million after the pipes broke because every year is getting worse and you can't just keep putting a Band-Aid on. Right. So it's, it's infuriating, but it's also extremely dangerous. Right. We have a very small tax base, as I mentioned before, of, of wealth. When we, that means that our city budget is small. We don't have, you know, uh, billions of dollars like some cities. We don't even have uh, significant millions of dollars like many cities. And when we have to already use, when we have to use an already small pot of money to now place into one particular area of our budget, it takes away from our education system. It takes away from our housing needs. It takes away from our um, public safety needs. It takes away from so much. 
And so we have to spend so much of our money on water infrastructure, fixing the pipes, fixing the plant over and over and over again. That's draining our economy. Mm. And all it is doing is putting a Band-Aid on it. So it's infuriating. At the same time, what happens now is that because we don't have the money to fix it completely outside of putting a Band-Aid on it, we get consent decrees. Consent decree from the EPA, right? Requiring us to do this, that, and the third. But the EPA ain't giving any money Mm. to help us fix the problem. The EPA knows that it's money we need in order to actually eradicate the issues to rebuild what we have to rebuild. So, you know, um, it feels like a catch-22, right? Uh, Jackson is is the only one actually maintaining and keeping residents as well as possible. And at the same time, being blamed for its deterioration. When we know that it is not Jackson's fault at all. That's why I always say that Jackson residents are the real heroes. That's right. Of all of this. You know, you know, you know. One thing that your your your, your dad and many others would say is um, free to land. Yes. Free to land. Mm-hmm. Uh, land. What does it mean when you, when to, when somebody says to free to land? Yes, free to land. So we say free to land by any means necessary. Come on, um, I, I I didn't mean to keep up that that last that last part is very important. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, and I mean I think that that's what you know. Um, honestly, you know that's what we're doing, and, and I'm going to tell you a little story um, that I was going to say earlier, but I had held myself back. Um, but when we're talking about this water crisis, we also scream free to land, right? Um, and that's because we believe that land is the basis of all independence, that your ability to collectively own and regulate the land, which means govern the land that you own, helps to determine your quality of life, your liberation. Right. And so um, back in 1972, my father and his comrades with the Republic of New Africa, as I mentioned earlier, had bought a plot of land. And they were going to have a land celebration day on their little plot of land. It was about 500 of them. And women, children, elders, men. And so they, they, they rolled out to the land. And as they approached the land, there was a barricade. Hmm. A barricade made up of the Jackson Police Department. The same police officer, uh, captain who had just chief of police, rather, who had just shot and killed two Jackson State students uh, a couple of months before. There was the CIA. There was the FBI. There was the Ku Klux Klan. And there were state troopers. Creating a barricade. My father at the time was on security. So him and his comrade were required to get out the car and see what was going on. So my father used to tell the story and he would say, as he approached, you know, the officer, you know, his guts began to tense, right? And he says, the officer looked him in his face and said, there ain't going to be no land celebration day here today. He said he used some other profanity, you know, called him out his name a little bit. My father said he looked back at all of the cars behind him, 500 people. And he turned back to the officer 
And he said, well, we ain't in the mode of turning the other cheek today. Mm. And my father said, you know, as he said that, he said, they were scared. Said fear was in them, but they knew they had to be courageous. And he said that they just were revolutionaries, strong revolutionaries, drawn back to prayer. He said, we began to pray. And he says, it was like, he says, as we began to pray, it was like the Red Sea. Mm. It just opened up. That barricade just opened up like the Red Sea, and that the cars began to go through, that they began to go through. And the people were so overjoyed to get to the land, to get to land they had purchased, land that was theirs, that they began to eat the dirt of the land. Mm. And that's where the term free to land came. People started to say free to land, free to land, free to land by any means necessary. So that's a battle cry that we we use till this day, because we're talking about the necessity to be able to reach what is yours, to be able to reach what is going to sustain us. And we know that land does all of that. Hmm. Ricky, I can't believe how fast this time has gone, man. And I'm so glad for this conversation. I, I just, this man, and I just want to make sure you know that we're going to support you. Thank you. And that's from the Hip Hop Caucus. I mean, I hope other folks join in. I know I can only speak for, you know, our 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 institution. But for those who are listening, because we got a good good bit of people who listen to this conversation, um, how how do we as a movement support the building of local power in Jackson? Um, where should we apply the pressure? And 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 how can we support you and the work? Um, that you're doing as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so folks should apply pressure on Governor Tate Reeves. Um, tweet him. Tell him to give to fully fund Jackson's, um, the full rebuild of Jackson's water and sewer infrastructure. Um, tweet the president. Ask him to maintain, to keep his promise to Jackson. To send funds directly to Jackson. Uh, we also, you know, really need support. We are still in crisis mode and we will be for about a year as things are being fixed and rebuilt. The city has a plan. The city has an amazing plan. And the plan includes additional grants and fundraising. But in the meantime, we as residents have to figure out how are we going to survive? We are paying water bills and still having to purchase water to drink. And so what we're asking is for folks to donate water. We need water. We desperately need water because we believe that no resident should be buying water to drink, to have clean water to drink and brush their teeth and do things like that. We're also requesting water filters. Our goal is to um, provide every resident with a water filter that doesn't have one so that they no longer have to purchase water on a regular basis. And then we're also doing water testing where our residents can become their own water technicians to make sure that their water is clean on a regular basis. And so um, those are some of the things we're doing. If you want to support our efforts, um, please go to jacksonpeoplesassembly.org. That's J-X-N, peoples, with an S, assembly.org. There you can click on and learn about how you can help with the water crisis, but you can also just learn a little bit more about Jackson and what's going on in city government and in the city overall. 
So I invite you to to look into. Mm. Thank you. And then for those listening, just make sure cause we 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 gonna apply a little pressure. The number <laughs> to the golf the governor take Reed's office is six zero one three five nine three one five zero. I'm gonna say it again. Make sure y'all hear it. The governor's uh, number is six zero one three five nine three one five zero. I'm gonna show, I'm gonna show get to it. Um, my sister Rakia, I just this is my last thing. I just because you're just so poised and you're such a beacon, um, man. There's such a light in our movement. I guess the the question. This is really for young folks who may all listening to this process. How do you? stay grounded and specifically how does your relationship to the more than human world keep you grounded in that you know look my son and my godchildren really ground me they bring me so much joy um they remind me of what i'm working for and i i tell you and and honestly having really good friends you know, really good friends um, that hold you, that hold me accountable to my principles. You know, it's really what grounds me. So, yeah. So, you know, good friends, friends that, you know, going to tell you the truth about yourself <laughs> and also love up on you. That's right. But then also just remembering my youth. I play with my I play with my children like, you know, like I'm a child. And I think it's that joy of, of, of being youthful that keeps me hopeful. Hmm. Thank you, my sister. Thank you. And that's our guest today, Rakia Mumba, Executive Director of the People's Advocacy Institute and Co-Director of the Electoral Justice Project of the Movement for Black Lives. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. All power to the people. Free the land. Free the land. Free the land. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the peace. It's the coolest show you know.